because sometimes with mental health, there's the westernized view, then there's the cultural view, but sometimes you need both in order to move forward in healing. So just making sure there's a key in each section. Voices have a strong meaning. They share what the eyes cannot see. Voices echo, encourage, empower, and support. Welcome to the Listening to One Another to Grow Strong podcast series. We are inviting you to embark with us on a journey in the work and reflection of the Listening to One Another to Grow Strong program or L2A for short. L2A is a strength-based, community-driven, and culturally adapted program for Indigenous families and youth. The program is rooted in the principle that family well-being is a cornerstone of individual and community wellness. The program originates out of a collaboration between First Nations communities in British Columbia, Manitoba, Ontario, Quebec, and research teams based out of McGill University. In the delivery and research of LTOA, we are following the different stages of the implementation cycle to learn more about what works how it works, and how it works for. This podcast series is based on exchanges with partners of the LTA program and will help us learn more about the implementation cycle. We hope to foster community engagement and connection by listening to each other's stories, passions, and work around the LTA program. We believe this podcast can help us gain insight on how the program works on the ground, and it will allow us to learn from the different individuals involved in the program to grow stronger and inspire people around us. We are your hosts, Nicole, Kristen, and Caroline. The first series in our program is about cultural adaptation. Cultural adaptation is a defining feature of the LTOA program. LTOA community partners are encouraged to adapt the LTOA program in ways that suits their community cultures and needs. Join us while we discuss cultural adaptation and discover how LTOA community partners have taken ownership of the program. So, in today's episode, we travel to the east coast of Canada to learn about the cultural adaptation process of the LTOA program in Nova Scotia. We welcome Katie and Caitlin from the mental wellness team of the Confederacy of Mainland Mi'kmaq Nova Scotia, or CMMNS for short. I had the opportunity to sit down and join Katie, Caitlin, and Mary Louise to discuss the importance of culturally adapting the LTOA program materials for youth and family in Nova Scotia and the various components involved in this adaptation process. Katie, Caitlin, welcome. I will let you introduce yourselves, your roles with CMMNS, and what your relationship has been with the LTOA program and more generally in working with mental health promotion. Uh, so I'm Caitlin. I am the mental wellness advisor for the Confederacy of Mainland Mi'kmaq Mainland Mental Wellness Team. Uh, I work for seven of our mainland communities, which roughly span about four hours of driving, maybe five. Yeah, so five hours driving from one community to the other. Um, basically, I provide one-on-one for mental health but also do kind of workshops so my part in this is to kind of implement get people to kind of adapt it organize it and basically most of 
the adaptation. <laughs> All right. Yep. Uh, I'm Katie. I am the Wellness Programs Manager at Confederacy of Mainland Mama. So I manage all of our health programs except for Jordan's principal, um, which are fairly vast and quite different. Um, mental wellness team works in seven of our eight communities, but the rest of our programs work in all eight of the communities. Um, so my role on this program has been kind of information gathering and kind of guiding and leading the team and implementing it in the community. So as Katie and Caitlin mentioned, the CMMNS wellness team provides services to the eight communities who are part of the Confederacy of Mainland Mi'kmaq. Nicole, I'm guessing like many of the other Indigenous communities LTA partners with, CMMNS works closely with knowledge keepers and elders to integrate cultural components into the LTOA program. Yes, exactly. In fact, I actually had a chance to speak to Mary Louise, an elder who has been working closely with Katie and Caitlin and using some of her own cultural teachings within the program. I had a chance to sit down with her via Zoom in her home with her daughter as she detailed the ways in which she tries to share her own cultural stories and traditions with others. Um, cool, nice. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm Mary Louise Bernard. I'm a Mi'kmaq, um, Indigenous um, woman, an elder, I'm 62. I'm from Walmaka First Nation. I work at Parks Canada during the summer season as a Mi'kmaq interpreter. So I developed my programs to kind of um, reach people um, in a way that I'm able to, <clears throat> um, to introduce my culture in a positive light. I have been there for four years and um, I bring in Mi'kmaq games, indigenous games, uh, songs, drums, and also stories. I'm, a, I'm an author, I have a children's book, and it's in four languages now. Your conversation with the CMMNS team today reminds me of the conversation that we first started back in 2019. That's when we first met Katie and Caitlin and other members of their team in Toronto, Nova Scotia to deliver an LTOA training. Yes, absolutely. So since then, the CMMNS team has been adapting the LTOA program for its first scheduled delivery that was supposed to have happened in the spring of 2020. But with the arrival of COVID-19 at the beginning of the past year, the team had to postpone the LTOA program delivery until it becomes safe again. The pandemic has definitely presented us with many challenges to program delivery. It's also given us a chance to catch up with members from CMMNS and chat about the process of cultural adaptation. Yes, for sure. In our conversation, Katie, Caitlin, and I spoke about the importance of culturally adapting LTOA program materials for youth and families in Nova Scotia and the various components involved in this adaptation process. When you heard about cultural adaptation, what were your first thoughts? Like, what is cultural adaptation mean to you? So making sure that there's a two-eyed seeing approach into every aspect of the session. Okay, so what exactly does Caitlin mean when she says two-eyed seeing? The concept of two-eyed seeing, introduced by Mi'kmaq elders Albert and Merdina Marshall, refers to ways of knowing that encompass both Indigenous and Western knowledge. We have heard from many of our L2I partners of the value of this two-eyed seeing approach throughout the delivery of the program. 
And here, Caitlin explains the application of this approach within the cultural adaptation process. Because sometimes with mental health, there's the westernized view, then there's the cultural view, but sometimes you need both in order to move forward in healing. So just making sure there's a key in each section. Okay, and so why was that like to ensure that two-eyed seeing important for the communities you work with or in the ways that you guys work? So for us, it's a little bit more trickier because Yarmouth, which is at the very end of Nova Scotia, there is very little or no language and cultural traditions or practices. But then we go to Picto, which is at the opposite end of mainland. There's lots of language, there's lots of practices, there's lots of elders that can help engage. So when we implement our programming, because we were going to do the weekend, so we can't make it fully based off culture because a lot of ones down in the Naples Valley region don't have that knowledge. So to mm -hmm. incorporate this cultural piece, it's also a way for our communities to get it back. Mm -hmm. Echoing Caitlin's words, I had an interesting conversation with Mary Louise, who spoke about the nuance of culture and how people's identity relate to Indigenous culture. They get the a different aspect of our community. They get the positive side. And, you know, some of them say, well, wow, you know, we've been you know, we hear so much about Indigenous people and problems and so forth. And, but when, you know, coming from, when we attend one of your programs, we see the positive side of this too. I said, yeah, because it's, um, you know, we all have these things going on. And in the First Nation community, we're always under a microscope. And um, so the dynamics of everything going into this microscope can be very challenging and how do you view it? Um, because I could view it from my perspective, from somebody else coming in and their perspective, or, you know, we all have different cultural backgrounds, but it's, um, so that's coming in here. Um, of course, we deal with a lot of issues, but my, I guess my own, personal feel is that there is a positivity once you move all the other stuff away and get a clearer picture of who we are and how we are connected um, to our culture, to our traditions, and how do we keep connecting? Because as the younger generation is coming on, they're learning the Western society ways of life. Um, and so I'm trying to create a more romantic, I guess, of um, to introduce our culture to children and to our, our, our grandchildren as well. Okay. And then for, in terms of like the actual process, um, who has been part of this cultural adaptation process on your team? Like who has been involved? Like what has it involved? So it originally started with Kia. She originally started the cultural adaptation in which it was kind of the breakdown of each session. 
So she was going through and trying to find the language translations of each and incorporating that in like writing it down. And then it went to my coworker, Jenna, who started with, I believe the moons, the Mi'kmaq moons and translating it from the Anishinaabe to Mi'kmaq. And then I was just trying to find out from the elders, like different traditions, different practices. And then the turtle game, we were adapting that. And then we were adapting, it's the canoe one where you have to- mm -hmm. The fishing so, canoe. Yeah, so we were trying to find scenarios that were specific to our communities, because not all those scenarios could be relatable. Mm -hmm. So we tried to pick things that were relatable in our own communities to kind of help promote that stuff like that and how has it been to find people like elders or knowledge keepers to get involved in this process given the the variation between like one part one side of the, the mainland compared to the other very difficult <laughs> so it's been very very difficult so the elder i had from to do the may one came from cape breton so it wasn't even in the mainland it was part an elder from Cape Breton that had a lot of traditions and practices. So even finding elders that have that knowledge has been very difficult and very hard to find. And in terms of the ones that, so have you had elders participate in this or knowledge keepers or have it, how has it worked out? So Kia used her mom who is a um, Mi'kmaq professor of linguistics up in Cape Breton. Okay. Um, she's from number two, which is in Sydney, Cape Breton. Um, the elder I had was from Wakeba, which is also in Cape Breton. So she was going to do knowledge around talking sticks, uh, water ceremonies, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Uh, the language piece is a little bit more accessible because the, we do have an app, but also some of my coworkers do speak it, so it's a matter of just asking them little, just like the finer details. Um, but yeah. So in terms of the language, you said that the language varies and it's mm -hmm. like use and knowledge in the communities. Um, have you worked in terms of like language in other program, not just the LTOA, but in, in any of the other programming you guys are doing? Like, have you been integrating aspects of the language or knowledge about the language? Yeah, so usually we do programming. We try to incorporate language in everything that we do, whether it's like Last week we did a little Jeopardy game because we were doing depression. So our double Jeopardy questions were on language. And then if we can find like, mental health is so hard to find an equivalent to language. So if there's something that I can find that can translate, I'll include it. But where mental health is very, very new, there hasn't been like a translation. So in our conversation, when Caitlin spoke about finding an elder to help integrate traditions, stories, and language, she was actually referring to Mary Louise, one of the elders who speaks Mi'kmaq. 
and has been trying to find ways to preserve and pass on the language to the generations after her, as she explains. Um, the gist of what I'm singing. And, and so at, and at the same time, I, I tell them about this is a language that is dying and we have, we're trying to preserve it. It comes from the earth because it's a very descriptive language. And it's something that we need to um, carry on because as people say now, once it's gone, it's gone because this is where the language originates from Mi'kma'ki, the Maritimes. Um, and that's why, um, yeah, it's important to keep that, you know, your language, you know, cause it's so, um, and some people that, you know, there's quite a few that have lost the language and they feel like they're trying hard and it's the hard language to learn. It's very deep. And um, how, like, if you can't include language or the people who are involved in, you know, either delivering the program or, or adapting the program don't have a grasp of language, do you feel that the current, like, the state of where the guides are or the programming is, is, is appropriate or sufficient to to use without that full language adaptation? Yeah, and I think it works for multiple communities too because the, so our language is, would be below grade 12. So we always aim for an adult learning, but also very simple terms. Because um, I would say maybe two communities is where language is very strong. Yeah, uh, so like all of our communities are trying to bring language back, but they're just at a very basic kind of level of bringing it back. Um, but two of them, I would say, would have speakers in the community of the seven. Okay. And um, so language is one component of the program. There's also like content. So like the stories that come up within the program, um, like you said, like the fish and canoe, trying to adapt the content to see if it's applicable for the communities you're working with. In terms of content for LTUA, what has been relevant? What has worked in your opinion? What has needed further adaptation and yeah, so let's start with that question. Like what has worked, what what hasn't quite worked? I think all would work. I'm trying to remember the topics. Um, but majority of them have a good generalized information, so it's very generalized. Um, the only thing that's kind of tricky is sometimes the videos. Okay. Because uh, some of the videos are based off the Anishabwe kind of teachings. So we were working together, I was working with my elder to find, I think there was one on anger. So trying to find an experience that was relatable to maybe our communities. Okay. But the, the basic information is pretty generic. So it's good all around. It's more of the kind of case examples that we have to change to make it more relatable in a way. And then when you're making those changes for like the case examples or specific stories um, for the booklets or the communities, has that information been easy to, to access? Has that information been easy to 
to get down? I would say that one's probably a little bit, depending on the context. So if it's history related, it's a little bit more harder. But if it's like an everyday kind of relatable experience, it's a little easier because where we're in community, I often use a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of things I've seen with my own clients. So I'll take those scenarios where common across the province, because then it's obviously not just one community, it's all of them, mm -hmm. and put it into a case scenario. And Mary Louise is always going to be there as well. So she was going to talk about a way of life, um, incorporating like youth and language, and because she does speak Mi'kmaq, which was also amazing. So mm -hmm. she could help with the, the new youth connecting to their language, but also getting the adults to um, what is their meaning of culture, which would be different across the mainland. Then we have problem solving. So our elder talked about dream sticks. Okay. So she was going to incorporate that into problem solving because it was a traditional practice that helped with problem solving. Caitlin mentions how the program is adapted to integrate specific case examples throughout, rooted in personal stories or experiences, which are then connected to cultural and community stories. She spoke about their reliance on elders like Mary Louise, who are knowledge keepers that help connect certain values or skills that are trying to be conveyed within the stories they tell. One example Caitlin mentions is the dream stick. When speaking to Mary Louise, we had a chance to learn more about the significance of the dream stick and its origin. As he mentioned the dream sticks, this is, um, my mother was a storyteller and I used to have dreams you know, when I have growing up and I would tell her that was the connection. That was our, to me nowadays, I realized that was building my own spirituality, connecting my dreams with, um, this is how she would introduce them. So I had a dream, I would talk to her about my dream. And I remember having dreams when um, being attacked by animals or a dog or something. And she would, she took a little piece of stick and sharpened one in and said, Mary, put this under your bed tonight before when you go to sleep. This little stick is going to represent something in your dream that will protect you. You could fall into a river bank, you know, into the river and you're, you might find a log drifting by that this stick will be that log. It could be, and I actually did have a very, um, um, interesting you know this was like i find it so interesting just to be able to give that tradition and um to other people about the beauty of our culture and connecting with nature as well and i remember having dreams um and then so my mother made me a little pouch and at first she gave me the stick and then about a week later she handed me my little pouch which i call a dream pouch and she said, put your stick in there. And said, if you find anything else that you're, when I'm run, wandering around the woods, that catches your interest, and if it's there, put it in. And I ended up getting um, a snake skin. It was in the early spring, and the snakes shed their skin. Mm -hmm. So I took this um, bounded snake skin. It was really amazing. I said, oh, my God. So I know exactly where I'm going to put this. And I put it in my pouch with my stick. And I remember that dream, I remember a dream I had soon afterwards and I was being, um, my friend and I were in the dream or 
walking and then all of a sudden there was this dog that was coming after us. And the first thing I was able to do, cause my friend, actually my cousin, she was smaller than me. There was a tree and I helped her climb there and I kept running and I looked back and I dog was just about to bite my leg and then it got held back. And that was uh, the snake skin that worked as the leash. Uh -huh. And so, um, yeah, so these were the things that, um, kind of stories that led me into start believing into my dreams, into my intuition. Mary Louise continued describing to me the power of stories and how she weaves them into her teachings in hopes of passing on the values and traditions that were passed on to her by her mother and her ancestors. Local stories, language, and cultural practices play a large role in adapting the LTOA program to fit the needs of each community it is meant to serve. And as I checked back in with Katie and Caitlin at the CMMNS office, I was able to get an idea of what the cultural adaptation process has meant for them. Okay, and I guess in closing, what have you gotten out and what have you learned from the cultural adaptation process uh, in terms of opportunities or even challenges in doing and taking this program and making it a retreat over a couple days and having to deal with unexplicable <laughs> forces that we have zero control of like COVID. Like what have you learned about this adaptation process? Yeah, kind of fun. I like creating new things. Yeah. So. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> so I like to make things fun. So I find when doing workshops and stuff, I'm, I hate just like having PowerPoints and just giving people information because I'm the type of person that will fall asleep. So I like to be more engaging and have fun things attached. That way they're learning, getting up, moving around. And so I find with mostly adaptations, I did add something fun, but Otherwise, it's been really interesting um, just being able to get those cultural pieces and being able to get an elder to kind of help out has been great and a learning experience for myself. Yeah, I would agree with that. And have you guys learned anything about your own culture in the process or the culture of the region that you didn't know before? Some of the ceremonies. So like the dream stick was something new to me, yeah. something I never before so when we were talking about it it was something I've never really thought of but it's something very that could be relatable to especially everybody mm -hmm. uh, so based on these experiences and all the I know you've been able to put together what kind of advice would you give future participants looking to a future program uh, communities looking to adapt the program I would say you pick things that you want to learn about but also you want to help people learn about because if you dread certain topics it's not going to be the greatest learning environment um if you're uncomfortable with something so there's certain topics like that's the one that i always find people have a hard time anger i find people have difficulty talking about anger so if that's something that you're not comfortable with then maybe get an outside speaker one of the good things about what I do is I'm already in communities. So these are my seven communities that I already do workshops in. So most of the families that we're going are families that I've already interacted with on some kind of level. 
So there is that knowledge that they know who I am. So that trust is kind of already built. And then even after the retreat, if they do have more questions, I'm still there, whether or not they're from down in Yarmouth or Picto. So they do, they're able to call me, talk to me, and I can still meet them one-on-one -on -one and provide them resources as well, which kind of helps bridge that gap. So knowing the communities is important because if you don't know them, then you won't be able to kind of adapt to their needs. Yeah. And with that, we conclude our first podcast of the LTOA series. I would like to thank Katie, Caitlin, and Mary Louise for their insights and their time. You can learn more about the work being done by Katie and Caitlin and their team with the Confederacy of Mainland Mi'kmaq by clicking on the website in the description below. In the description, you will also find a link to check out the amazing work Mary Louise is doing at Cape Breton Highlands National Park and to purchase her book. It's called Sweetwater Maiden, The Legend of Maple Syrup, and it's available in Mi'kmaq, English, French, and Gaelic. Thank you for listening to so the first listening to one another podcast episode. I would like to shout out to Jeff Wells who composed the music of the podcast, especially for us. And thanks for the L2A team for the support in this endeavor. And also a big thank you to you, Carolyn, for producing and leading the first episodes on cultural adaptation. We'd also like to hear from our viewers. What do you think about the role of cultural adaptation in the L2A program? Do you have any experience with cultural adaptation yourself? Let us know in the comments below. Join us on this journey and stay tuned for new episodes soon. Don't forget to keep up to date with LTA News by checking out our website www.magil.ca mhp or following us on Facebook and Instagram. And lastly, don't forget to follow, like and share this first episode. See you soon! <laughs>